Welcome again to another issue of the Southwest Climate Podcast. Dr. Mike Crimmins, how you doing? Zachary, how's it going? I'm doing well. It's nice to see you. Holiday season coming up. I can't wait. Got any New Year's resolutions? More rain gauges. More rain gauges. In my backyard, yeah. In your backyard or just across the West? Just everywhere. You're like the classic climate scientist. More Uh, data. Johnny Appleseed. I'm going to (laughs) go walking across Western U.S. planting rain gauges everywhere. So that's your New Year's resolution in Stalmore? (laughs) Yes, it is. Somebody else has got to read them, though. You are the the quintessential scientist. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank God we got some rain. We did. In, How did in you do? Southern, southern Arizona. Yep. Rain in uh, my house. All the I care rest about. of the West, northern Arizona and, and much of the other parts of the West have not fared. As, man, uh, oh man, I know. That rain event was the first precipitation really of significance in three months-ish. For Tucson, it was our, we've had a couple of spits of rain in December, but it was our most significant event of the month for sure. So we're feeling good. I'm personally feeling good, but I, I think as we talk to folks across the rest of the Southwest, that's a that's a pretty localized phenomenon. I don't think overall there's a lot of happiness about what climate's been throwing our way the last couple of months. Okay, well, I bring that up at the onset because the last podcast we did that was a struggle. I mean, there wasn't there wasn't much to talk about, so we have no. a, we have a little bit here uh, to report on that some of the West got got some rain, not a lot. Uh, some of the bigger picture issues, the sort of dry and hot conditions remain sort of persistent. We have what is turning out to be a strengthening La Nina. Mm-hmm. Uh, we might be seeing some of that already in, in, in the atmosphere. We'll talk, talk a little bit about that. And of course, the story, again, unfortunately, uh, for California is these raging wildfires. Absolutely. Not a lot of Christmas cheer in this podcast. I'm looking for some some signs of hope out there, but they're, they're just not getting dealt our way. Yeah. So I'm going to, so we'll foreshadow your, your, are you going to have a pessimistic rainfall winter prediction? Uh, probably. Okay. Are we going we'll to get, numbers? Yeah, we're, we'll, th- we're throwing we'll numbers on that. the table we'll for get that. To that okay. Because you're one up on me from, from winning the monsoon. Bet. Did I win the monsoon? Did I say it was going to be awful? Cause it sure turned out to be. <laughs> <laughs> All I remember is you won. I, I think I, I was, I went whole hog in on the monsoon and I don't think it actually. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I think you were going. For, I was going uh, 10 inches. Yeah. yeah. What were you thinking? Well, I mean, it was the halcyon days of, of, of the end of July. Oh, I mean, yeah. It was. And, yep. then, and then we went apocalyptic. That's good. Nice use of the word halcyon, too. That's like nice. That? I looked that up before this. That's great. This, you know, I have great. To, I have to appear to be smart. I have to rise up to your <laughs> All right. quippiness. All right. I have Ben edit in some cool words for me, too, then. Uh, why don't you walk us through what's been significant in the last 30 days? So what we, what we mentioned was really the... Th- recent event that happened last couple of days here in, in, in Southern Arizona. I want you to walk us through that since we're, we're sort of dying for it's, it's tough. <laughs> what the heck happened. It's, yeah. So it was what, it was mid November and we were kind of still reeling from the October that had set records, at least for Southern Arizona with the temperatures and pretty much blanking on precipitation. And then the first two weeks of November were not that much to talk about. And I think we were looking forward and I think I even went out on a limb and saying, you know what, by Thanksgiving, stuff always shifts around and we'll be good to go. Well, that didn't, that didn't quite happen. It The warm, unusually warm, record warm, dry conditions really held through the end of November uh, across most of Arizona and New Mexico. And then we just haven't, we haven't broken out of that pattern. R- right now across the Southwest, the Southern part of Arizona and the Southern part of New Mexico have had more precip than the Northern parts, which is not 
that's not normal, not normal for the fall transition period. You know, typically you'd start to see the storms building in from the Pacific Northwest and sort of inching their way down the coast towards the Southwest. And the northern parts of Arizona, New Mexico would usually lead us in precipitation accumulation by this time of year. But the few events that we've had come in have been from the South and Mm. have been these little low pressure closed lows that have wandered across even, you know, Mexico has had more precip than the Southwest and much of the interior West. Most of Mexico has had above average precip over the last 30 days, including some epic snowfall across uh, Chihuahua. So these ducked in south of California because California's remained dry. Yeah. So subtropical jet is south of us and has been taking that subtropical moisture off the Pacific and stringing it across Mexico and into uh, Texas and then parts of the deep southeast. That being said, we should say that this event, although it was not insignificant, the totals here in Tucson and uh, have been around a half an inch. That's a pretty good. It's not bad, yeah. right? So I don't know what the normal precip for Tucson for De- for December. It's probably an inch and a half total. And so yeah, we're maybe not quite half of that. <laughs> so right. It's not great. My bar is so low right now. Well, I mean, and then if you sort of string it out for the last three months, you know, we've had that event and maybe one other in, in the beginning of November that produced a couple tenths of an inch. So over that time here in Tucson, where we normally, the last three months, we on average receive 2.6 inches of rain or 2.5 inches of rain. And have received just you know twenty five percent of that. So. Yeah, and okay, so for so for Tucson, October is a toss up month, right? In the historical records, it's kind of feast or famine, and most often it's famine. We don't typically get a lot of precip. November, you should turn a corner, mm-hmm. and we should start to see something come in, and we didn't for the most part. And then December's been been pretty meager. And we are doing better than most other places in the Southwest, right? Flagstaff has had no precip in December. And we've had close to half of half an inch with some varying amounts across the southern part of the state. That's not normal. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's weird. If you look at the 2.6 inches that we normally get over the last three months, you know, you think, okay, maybe that's five or six or seven different events. We've had one for the most part. And then that one, and I don't recall the one in early November, around November 6th, that produced two-tenths of an inch. I don't think that was much to speak about. No, I don't, it, really, it really wasn't. Thinking about the sort of regional atmospheric pattern, has there been a high-pressure system that's set up sort of over, basically over California? I mean, are we going back to, you know, the epic years of the past few years when California received all that sort of dry conditions and that epic drought? Uh, unfolded? Are we sort of in that sort of pattern? I think it's still hard to say. You know, I I think that we're still in the early parts of the core of the winter months where especially the Southwest in January and February, March, at least historically, have seen the bulk of their precip. If you look at the last five years, interestingly enough, that December has been one of the months where we've picked up a lot of our winter precip just in the recent past. And so that's a little weird jog in the climatology. But Seeing October, November, December here, and what we've been sort of dealing with is a really busy, active jet stream with a lot of kind of unusual wiggles in it for the Pacific Ocean and the North Pacific, and then how that plays out for the uh, Western U.S., including us. And so I think really the, the jet has started to strengthen across the Western Pacific, and then what happens in the Western Pacific translates into the wave patterns you see downstream in the Eastern Pacific and then into the Western U.S. And so what we've seen over like the last 30 days is a really strong 
very, very high amplitude ridge that's extended up into Canada. And then you've had this diving trough across Canada and into the eastern U.S. So the eastern U.S. has had a couple of episodes of cold air outbreaks there, but it hasn't been consistent. We haven't been sort of locked into it. And we've been really, really far from the action. And what we've seen down this far south is a couple of break-off closed lows, even cut-off lows that have kind of wandered around near us and have gotten absorbed into that jet stream flow and moved across us. And most recently over the last week when we had our, our big precip event here, it was a, a low that really originated way up in the Gulf of Alaska and brought its atmospheric moisture with it all the way down the coast of California and then cut inland and also dragged up a little bit of subtropical moisture to the south mm-hmm. where that subtropical jet had been sort of carving across Mexico. And then that was that convergence of it. And it also was, the jet stream was so amplified that the low pressure system took a couple days to move across the southwest. And so just that duration of the event gave us round after round of precip, which caused the precip totals to go up. If it were a much quicker jet stream and that wave would have kicked out further, this this storm would have been in and out of here and one band of precip and we might have gotten a couple hundredths of an inch and it would have been on on its way up to the Midwest. This is one of those events that you couldn't pick up in a seasonal forecast and maybe maybe end up being 10 to 20% of our seasonal total that we wouldn't have seen coming. So we got super lucky that we got anything out of this thing. Well, that's interesting because that pattern that you just described might have been lucky for us in southern Arizona yeah the precipitation but it was also sort of what set up classic conditions for these Santa Ana winds yeah it's all kind of connected together absolutely you know the story right now going on is you know the Thomas fire obviously has yeah. pummeled and destroyed I think if I'm remembering correctly a thousand structures it's uh, just insane there's estimates that Billions of dollars. I mean, this this is on top of what happened in the wine country in in, in October. And right. so, the difference here is, of course, the mechanism that is. I mean, it was wind driven in uh, October as well, or yeah. partially wind driven. Yeah. But the but not Santa Ana. And so the Santa Ana winds. Maybe let's take a little minute to explain sort of how those things set up and why they're. This is the season. It's that bigger, longer arc of the story that you know you're kind of alluding to. Is is that You've got these urban centers built in these really fire-prone landscapes, and this is the discussion now about attribution is, you know, what's what's the main causal factor in why these fires are so bad? And it's a convergence for right. a bunch of stuff. And I, I think one of the things that we're kind of now seeing is that the – Epic winter, which was last winter, right? If I, I can't even keep them straight anymore. but No, that was the winter that produced all those atmospheric rivers exactly. that really made California. I think that was one of the wettest years, if not the wettest yes, year on record. That's, that's right. So you have all of that. And again, it's a Mediterranean climate, so it's going to get all of its precip in the winter. And then it turns into just a bumper crop of fine fuels and vegetation growing in the spring. And then it gets dry in the summer. And then it gets it was exceptionally warm across all of the Western California all the way up through this fall. And so the, the record warmth that we had in the Southwest extended all the way up um, into the interior. And West that can dry California. out those fine fuels quicker. So, Absolutely. And even not even just the fine fuels, just the, Everything. the, the, yeah. the larger fuels. Yeah. And, which you know, take yeah. and, and then there, there's, there's hundreds of hours to dry out. Right. There's mortality in trees over the longer term drought up at the high, which is not necessarily what we're talking about for these events. But then you get into Santa Ana season, which is the fall. And as you have this 
wavy jet stream and transition pattern, and you start to bring in cold air masses up through the Pacific Northwest, and you have a have the ability to pull in that interior cold, dry air from Canada and move it down south as it pools in the Great Basin, it's heavy, cold air, and it is working its way out towards low pressure that is in that jet stream pattern out in the Pacific Ocean. And it flows like water out to the sea. And once it hits those those passes, it accelerates. Right. So it's cold. It's dry to begin with. Mm-hmm. And, and at a higher and if, elevation. So it's perched up high. So, you know, hydrostatically, it's it's like having, um, you could do it in a sandbox, right? And if you made a little um, watershed and you, you threw some water at the top of it and it flowed downhill, you'd see where it would speed up in these little channels between mounds of dirt. So it's, all, it's also flowing downhill. It's going from the Great Basin yeah. down westward. Absolutely. So, yep. But in addition, so you've got this high pressure system and you've got a lower, uh, you've got a pressure gradient from pressure gradient. west, yep. excuse me, from east to west. Yep. And so the winds and the airflow is, is going from, it's going from east to west and it's then it's being funneled through the Sierra Nevadas yep. and these, in these mountain passes. And as you push, as you push that air into a, 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 a tighter constriction, it's kind of like putting your thumb over a, a, exactly. a hose right. and it just accelerates. accelerates. Yeah. And so as, as it's also descending, it dries. And it, well, it compresses. It compresses, yep. right? Yep. And so, and so the humidity, to, yep. humidity actually descends Absolutely. A, as well. And so you, you get this sort of uh, the cliche perfect storm. You get drier air, hotter air, and faster moving air, and you can you can have winds, you know, 60, 70 miles per hour yeah. that, you know, if there is a fire in the area, then, you know, all heck breaks loose. You know, when you think about fire weather, what are you worried about? You're worried about high temperatures, you're worried about low relative humidities, and you're worried about high winds. And so it's interesting that the Santa Ana winds, by their very nature, create all of those conditions concurrently. And the funneling of the winds seems to be a couple of the causes for um, the actual fire starts themselves, which was down power lines. And so there's this kind of big discussion, you know, out there about well, how do you mitigate? How do you use the forecasts for these events? Was very good. We have high resolution numerical weather models now that can pinpoint hours to maybe a day or two ahead of where you'd see these accelerations and these winds through these passes. And so there's this discussion that, and that's where a couple of these fires had started because they blew down power lines. And then those power lines at higher elevations then cause a fire start that's just carried downwind and blew through some of these communities is that is one of the proactive measures to actually use forecasts to shut down parts of the grid. And you can imagine like that's a really interesting policy discussion to have is would people put up with having a blackout to prevent a wildfire start during a Santa Ana wind? Some things to think about for sure. It's interesting, yeah. So just some numbers here. I'm looking at some statistics from the, the Thomas fire, which is the one that's raging still. I think it's only 50% contained in Ventura and Santa Barbara. 1,009 structures destroyed, two people have died, right. and about 95,000 people evacuated. According to, I believe, according to AccuWeather, they, they predict that this 2017 California fire season which includes obviously the, the, the Thomas fire, but also the the fires that did a lot of destruction in uh, in October, over 180 billion dollars. 2017 is going to go down in the record books as California's most destructive season on 
on record. Yeah, so I wanted to go back to something you said before because I, as I was doing research for this, came across, actually Ben sent me the paper from 2004 by Anthony Westerling, Dan Cahan, and Timothy Brown and, and, and others where they were talking about climate Santa Ana winds. Right. Uh, and I just, I wanted to read just the first couple paragraphs because I think it's, I mean, it's 2004, it's not that long ago and it, it's pretty relevant today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Exactly what you said. And 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 so they write, write in the abstract, you know, wildfires periodically burn large areas of chaparral and adjacent woodlands in autumn and winter in Southern California. These fires often occur in conjunction with Santa Ana weather events, which combine high winds and low humidity and tend to follow a wet winter rainy season, uh, which is what we had last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they did some empirics and, and, and demonstrated that. Furthermore, over a century of watershed management and fire suppression have promoted fuel accumulations, uh, helping to shape one of the most fire-prone environments in the world. And, you know, they go on to say that, you know, combined with the complex topography and large human population, Southern California ecology and climate pose a considerable physical and societal challenge to, to fire management. So. I mean, obviously, we know that fire in the West is uh, a great challenge, and and it's it's a it's a physical exposure story. The temperatures play a role, and and the winds play a role, but it's also a, a you know it's socially driven as as well. You know, the Santa Ana winds are they're really a unique phenomenon because of the rates of spread that you know you have really big epic fires at higher elevations with heavier fuels and in, in forests. And some of them can be really, really rapid spreaders, but these are really amazing in the way that they can spread through these very narrow and populated. I mean, they, they tend to be really beautiful, picturesque, scenic areas that have enormous rates of spread. You just don't see that sort of combination in other parts of the West in quite the same way. And I think the fact that it takes that unique convergence of situations is why you don't see it every year right. and why you can end up having 20 years go by before you start to you see that event again and everybody goes oh my gosh this is a really dangerous kind of spot uh, to be in well also i mean in that passage i read there's sort of a link to the immediate previous year in, in the wet conditions yep. but there's also indication this year that that area and all of California is still reeling from the, the four-year drought. There's still absolute drought signals in the heavier fuels. So uh, according to like the U.S. Uh, a U.S. Forest Service personnel, they say it's it's a record 129 million dead trees in California right now. Right. And it's apparent from our survey flights this year that California trees have not yet recovered from the drought and remain and remain vulnerable to beetle attacks and, and increased wildland fire. Yeah. And so I think a lot of those when you get out to the, sort of the Forest Service lands is that you'll end up shifting – back as you get out of winter, and we'll see how this winter plays out. If the La Nina impact is as though we expect it to be, you could see parts of Southern California, or maybe all of California, depending on the jet stream plays out, to having the fire season continue and shift towards being the more inland, higher elevation Sierra-driven fire season, which I think is also a big concern for us in the Southwest now too, is, is that we're now seeing that drought. We're seeing fine fuels that have built up over previous summer Good July. Now we're in a really epic fall drought season here. If the winter doesn't play out, now I'm really concerned about a a very big and busy fire season in the spring. And some folks I work with at the Forest Service have already, they're not, not, everybody's getting itchy Mm -hmm. about how this shapes up for the rest of the Southwest going into next spring. Additionally, California, I believe so far has experienced its driest start to the winter season on record. Is that 
I don't know. Yeah. I, I, hope, I don't know where I, I, I think I, I saw that on Twitter. Did somewhere. you see that on Twitter? Okay. It must be true then. Well, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So again, it's, it's early in the season. Yeah. I know. I think I said that last month. It, yeah. Okay. It's getting later in the season. Yeah. We should, we should definitely, okay. Maybe it's not early anymore. Maybe I'm trying to talk myself out of this. It's winter, right? Well, I think it's the character of the rain that matters in like three months now, it's entirely possible that we look back and look at the totals for California, for Arizona, and it's like average or above average, right? Sure, yep. But that belies the fact that we, the, the early part or the first you know quarter or half of the season was dry and that yeah. contributed to um, the sort of state of, uh, of, of risk that we're experiencing now. So the nuance of it is, is important to, to track as we go through this. I think it's true. But it's also to say, though, that we get into December and it's not too late to turn it around. That's the key point. You get to the end of January, that's tough. Yeah, it becomes harder right. to, to, <clears throat> right. to, and to make missed, up for those deficits. Yeah, you've missed your chance. You're probably right. a little bit more locked in. And then that's where this La Nina event in place really starts to lean into January and looking at impacts. You know, the atmospheric rivers that we alluded to earlier, yeah. they, on average, there's something like 13 or 15 of right. them that hit. California. Yeah. They happen in California in all months, but the the peak of their months, I believe, is is January. Yeah. And we, and we, we haven't experienced we one. We haven't seen any of It's yeah. been interesting too, because the atmospheric rivers have been occurring, but they've been they've been occurring over southern Alaska and British Columbia. And so there was a atmospheric river event earlier this month that appears to have set the I think it was the the snowfall record as far as the heaviest snowfall ever recorded in a period of time. So it was it was 10 inches per hour over, I think, an hour or two or several up in uh, southern Alaska. And it was an atmospheric river event that literally was screaming straight north. So you think of that really amplified jet stream pattern we were just talking about with in relation to the Santa Ana winds is that as we were talking about the jet stream sort of moving straight north to south across the interior west, which was bringing in that cold air that funneled across California, further out in the Pacific, there was part of the jet stream that was screaming from south straight to north. And so that was dragging a long stretch of subtropical moisture all the way up into Alaska. So those the atmospheric rivers are out there. And I think it is just a matter of the jet stream stretching itself out, changing position a bit, and maybe becoming less amplified and then striking California. I expect we will see one, probably at least one before the month's out. And then, like you said, maybe January shifts around for it. We'll spend more time digging into ARs, as they're affectionately known, or the Pineapple Express, or the, the Hawaiian Firehose, or Hawaiian Firehose. Yeah, I haven't even heard of that one. Yeah, I know that is was that a good, cool. Is one. that true? I might have made. Did that you hear one that on up. Twitter? That sounds like something you saw on Twitter. I'm, I'm not so sure. But one final po- point to the sort of disasters that the, these fires in California have contributed to, as I mentioned before, 17 now is going to go. The 2017 is going to go on the record books as the most billion dollar disasters. We've had, I believe, 17 so far. Obviously, we, we talked uh, a lot about the hurricanes, the, the, the back-to-back-to-back hurricanes beginning in late August, Harvey, Irma, and Maria, and now these two fires. And, and this is for all of uh, United States. In that respect, we'll be happy to see uh, 2017 go by the wayside. Yeah, from right. Maybe it'll be a bit, bit calmer as we, uh, we get into January, but... Uh, just a little bit more about recent conditions. I mean, the snowpack, obviously, we've been dry for the most part in much of the West. The one part that 
has received some precipitation uh, recently has been the Pacific Northwest. And so if you look at the snowpack, basically across the West, it's, it's, it's coming in at uh, much below average conditions, which unfortunately doesn't, doesn't make those skiers happy. Looking at the maps, obviously, like uh, the higher country in, in Arizona, as you alluded to earlier, and, and New Mexico is you know, close to 0% of what they would otherwise have at this time of year. Colorado's, all of their sort of national resource conservation sites, snowtail sites are are basically much below average. Utah's the same way. Oregon's the same way. Only when you get into the northern parts of Wyoming, the, the Tetons and southern parts of Montana, do you see some slightly above average rain. And I, that's probably, again, not rain, uh, sorry, uh, snow. And that's probably, again, the sort of position of the jet stream that's coming that's yeah. coming in more, but more over overhead of of those uh, mountain ranges. Just looking at precepts. So the, the below average snowpack in northern Arizona and southern Utah and parts of Colorado aren't completely because it's been warm and just say it's rained on those locations. Some of those places haven't had any precip at all in the last 30 days. So, I mean, it's it's there's this hole in the Intermountain West of precip over the last month. And going from November into December, that that area should have filled in by mm-hmm. now. And so that that really stands out to me as is a really unusual part of what we're seeing this fall. When you look at the the western pattern of precipitation, particularly for the month of of November, and it's dry for the most part in the west, and particularly in the southern parts of the west, and you know, the Pacific Northwest has some above average rainfall. And that's kind of your quintessential La Nina expression. And we are now moving into one of the updates from from last uh, month is that La Nina is strengthening. Yeah. So we're now in a full-fledged La Nina, and there's talk about, yeah, we, ex- we see this at the expression in the atmosphere. What do you make of this? Eh. Eh. <laughs> eh. I don't know. I, I know. I, Next. <laughs> exactly. Is it La Nina? I think uh, probably part of it. I don't think it's the only player in town, and I certainly don't think it's been a huge player. It's probably going to be an increasingly important part of the pattern as we – because it's continued to strengthen. I think its, it's uh, reflection in the atmosphere is, inc- is increased over time, but I don't think it was all that strong earlier in the middle part of the fall. And there's just so much other weird stuff going on. Um, like? Well, there's uh, – I follow um, Judah Cohen's stuff. He's a seasonal forecaster from a private company out east, and he's done a lot of work on Eurasian snow cover and its influence on disruption of the polar vortex and – he can do seasonal forecasts from that perspective. And there have been some sort of higher latitude Arctic sea ice interactions with higher latitude parts of the jet stream, Eurasian snow cover, larger scale hemispheric jet stream patterns that I think are part of this and certainly probably working in concert with the tropics. The Madden-Julian oscillation has been really weak but is increasing in strength. So we've, we've, there's some – and again, I think as you'd expect to see that as you get into – Northern Hemisphere winter stuff sort of shifts around and you move from the fall things that drive the weather patterns into some of the more core things like El Nino. So I think right. La Nina is strengthening, Manjulian oscillation becoming more important. The Arctic seems like it becomes less important because it starts to grow the sea ice. So, you know, there's that climate change aspect I think is really starting to now show up in the literature and the research and moving its way into operational forecasting. It's still real 
early that's a, on. That's a and substantial change up it's north. It's a big deal, big deal. And I think at the American Geophysical Union last week, there was a lot of discussion about how the Arctic is just different now. Yeah, and it's and sort of changing a little bit of the, the common wisdom where... The tropics still drive the show, but it interacts with the higher latitudes. And I think that the higher latitudes interact with the tropics through these second and third order processes. So that cool paper maybe we'll talk about there's upcoming a, podcast. There's I a new bench you. player come, come showing up for the game. Huh? Right, I know. To, to bring it back to uh, Enso, I mean, I, I was, was sort this of... Was way you tricked me into talking about El Nino. I, I did. I said I'd never talk about this stuff again. Well, I can get you excited when we when you sort sort of go into the Arctic uh, and El, Enso yeah. and all the all the players and I don't understand all the complexity. I don't understand any of it. I just no, see a that, bunch of stuff that probably fits together. I don't, I don't know how it works. But, okay, to bring this back to something a little bit more... Useful? Yeah, Focus useful, on the concrete. region? What um, does it mean? <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. I mean, I sort of brought up this topic by talking about the pattern in November. And I think it's important when we talk about these phenomenon like ENSO that we don't get stuck on just like a, a short-term pattern, like a month pattern. Like, yeah, yeah I seems- mean, the expression <clears throat> is there, but let, let's see how... Yeah, the season plays out. Exactly. I'm not ready to call it, you know, based on one month. Uh, yeah, there's just so much Weather happens on. and weather weather can be persistent. That's my bumper sticker says. Does it really? Weather happens. <laughs> That's a great You're looking at me like, <laughs> does he really have a bumper sticker that says that? Weather happens. I like yeah. that. So. What's your bet? Yeah. So are we to the point where we, we predict? I wish I had a magic eight ball. I have one, but I told you that all the the eight ball juice <laughs> leaked out of it. It doesn't work anymore. All right, it's the so, only place I've ever lived where a magic eight ball dried out. It's the saddest thing I ever saw. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna base my prediction on the flaw in my logic from the monsoon. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> so I, for the monsoon, my prediction was solely based on persistence. Okay, and this time, and it didn't work out. Right. So I'm going with anti persistence. Anti-persistence. So I think it's actually going to turn out to be a, a, a good winner. Slow start. I'm not saying it's going to be record setting, uh, but I think we're going to, you know, when we when we look back on its entirety and don't try to characterize it by this its its nuance, then I think it'll... <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> I'm, when I'm I saying want a it, number. I, want to, I think it's going to be slightly above average. I want average. to know what it looks like. I, it's going to be slightly above average. I think it's going to be 110 percent of average. How about that? I don't. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Are you yeah. really? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. 110 percent of average. No, so. 105. Oh, yeah. You're, make, you're One, making me question this. Okay, so I'm just looking at a. I'm going to plot here. So by March, it's about three inches. So you have to have about three inches God, over the that next. That just doesn't seem like a lot. It. <laughs> I watched my rain gauge fill up for 24 hours and it gave me three tenths of an inch. <laughs> I couldn't believe how much it, a long it rained, and that's all I got out of that. So it's got to run 10 times like that. Go, I'm saying go for it. Yeah, I know. Listen, listen, this isn't based on anything I know scientific, it's not. I, right? I, like I, it's based on the fact me. that I got, I got misled during the monsoon. So yeah. I don't know. What do you think? It's a really good question. I was hoping I didn't have to answer that yeah, after well. just giving you all that that razzing. Uh, I think if we get two more inches in total, that's it. Uh, I just completely disregarded La Nina. I, I know you did. That's why I was I was really I was impressed. I was impressed by that hubris. I don't want to bet. No, you're you're in, man. You're locked in. So what are the numbers again? Well, I mean, if three and a half inches for you, two inches for me. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. I mean, La Nina's, for the record, they tend to, statistically, there's much a greater chance of conditions being drier than average than, La Ni- than El Nino's <laughs> being wetter than average, right? Like the cluster, like there are very few. We've said that before. Yeah, well, there that, are very few La Nina years yeah. that actually produce. The forecast that you just made. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's why I'm so, I'm really impressed by it. Should I give um, you, do we give you better odds? So let's wrap this up, but let me, let me tie it back to fire because I didn't ask a question that I really want, want okay. to have an answer to. When did these Santa Ana winds sort of die down? When do they die now? Yeah. Typically in December. Um, and I think that a paper we were talking about by Tony Westerling uh, noted in there, this is in 2004 at least, was that there have been some reported instances of Santa Ana winds that, that will extend into February. But typically the whole jet stream pattern should start to sag south, right, mm-hmm. as we get into northern hemisphere winter. So you're going to start to see the jet stream kind of coming into the California coast more directly. And so you don't you don't have the dynamics anymore of that interior cold air building up in the Colorado Basin. Now, what if... In the, in the Great Basin. What about during La Nina years where the jet stream is actually further north? I I don't know. It's a good question. I haven't, I haven't seen mm-hmm. any papers contingent But uh, those, But that. the La Nina years also <laughs> tend to make the amplitude of the jet stream not quite as as high, right? So. Well, you get that split jet. I mean, you could have the ridging over the west, but I, I still, you know, California, the jet then starts to come in across the Pacific Northwest. And so the, the dynamics for that Great Basin high tend to get washed out as you get further into the, the winter season. So, but hey, All right. this and, could be the year, right? And I'm going to end, let's end this with what's, 2017 is very likely, I'd say at 99% sure, to go in the record books for this, for the Tucson as the warmest year on record. I think you're right. March, June, and November were all the warmest on record for, for Tucson. So, And I believe for the U.S. in general, 2017 will be the warmest year on record. So we can usher out 2017 with that bit of good news. Uh, yeah. Let's try not to do it again in... Uh... You know, records. Yeah, I grew up thinking records were great, but you know, when they when I mean, they're continually broken, like you're, you're wondering it. if like something's wrong. That's a good way of thinking about it's it. Like, I think that that's it's like performance enhancing uh, drugs or something. <laughs> I, think, I think you. I think you're onto something, Zach. <laughs> I think you're. I think you're onto something. Mike, excellent Zach, to see you again. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. Your beard's looking good. Thanks, so combed it out. Yep, it's getting long. It is. It's getting long. That'll be. Uh, Maybe I have to do a bet that I'm not. No, I'm betting beverages, not, not shaving mu- mustaches. It off. No, no, <laughs> not doing soul patch, not doing anything like that. <laughs> okay, doing this. too much work to get this beard this way. Yeah, yeah. A, it'd take me years. All right. To do that. <laughs> all right, if we were doing that, I'd be more serious. About I know you bed. would. Then yeah. you would have like, ah, I don't want to. There's some re- beard. there's some yeah. re- re- repercussions there. Exactly. If you could get me to shave my beard off, I think you would have you would have brought La Nina into your forecast a little right. more heavily. So what are the numbers again? <laughs> I think three and a half inches for me, and and what did you say, two? Two? Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, again. We'll come back sometime in late January and uh, talk about the really great wet conditions that we've experienced in the last month. So On our our way to 3.5. Happy holidays, and uh, looking forward to 2018, Mike. The road to 3.5 number. What what year is this? You're number five, I think, doing this, right? Longest. it's longer than that. Longest lasting podcast podcast on Southwest Climate (laughs) recorded in Tucson ever. (laughs) We'll take it. Another record. (laughs) (laughs) Into the the books. All right. Cheers. 
The Southwest Climate Podcast is a production of CLEMIS, which is part of NOAA's Regional Integrated Science and Assessment Program and is housed at the University of Arizona Institute of the Environment. Mike Crimmins is a principal investigator with CLEMIS, a professor of soil, water, and environmental science in the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences, and climate extension specialist with the University of Arizona Cooperative Extension. Zach Guido is a research scientist with the Institute of the Environment and UA program manager of the International Research and Applications Program. The podcast is edited and produced by Ben McMahon, Research Outreach and Assessment Specialist with Clemus. I, I looked up quippy, too. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Quippy's not a word, is it? Well, quip is. Uh, quippy. Quippy, I, I'm not sure. I mean, it produced some sub, sub, uh, sub, substantial, <laughs> excuse me, as I say that. That's, is that a new word, too? <laughs> okay. This is your it, new year. Did you get one of those calendars with a new word on it every day? <laughs> substantial. I just, to the end of the year, you got to use it up.